Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio with your host, Tim Banal. Hello out there, my friends. This is Tim Banal with another edition of Banal of America Audio Season 1. It is November 19th, 2005. This week, Grant Cameron, Part 2 of 2. We pick it up where we left off last week. This is a fascinating discussion this week on disclosure, ufology, the presidents, and we also get into Grant's problems at the border with Homeland Security that happened back in September that made big news in ufology. We discuss all that in this week's edition. Uh, For those of you unfamiliar with Grant Cameron who are jumping in here at part two, you should really check out part one for some extensive background stuff, but here's his bio. He's a native Canadian who's been studying the UFO phenomenon for 30 years. He started in 1975 as one of the principal investigators of the Charlie Red Star UFO flap of the mid-70s. From there, his investigations led to the story of Wilbur Smith, head of the Canadian government's UFO investigation, Project Magnet, and ultimately led him to the in-depth investigation that he's working on now of U.S. presidents and their relationship with the UFO secret. He's a highly esteemed researcher in ufology who has lectured throughout North America on the Charlie Red Star flap, Canada's early attempts to study UFOs, disclosure politics, and the presidential UFO connection. His website is www.presidentialufo.com. This interview was conducted on October 31st, 2005. Grant Cameron, Part 2 of 2 on Banal America Audio, Season 1. All right, and I was going to ask you, actually, you kind of touched on it, just that uh, Democrat versus Republican. Do you think there's uh, a difference? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that the Republicans are more al- uh, uh, aligned to the military, they have uh, military um, sort of backing. For example, if you take a look at Bill Clinton, who was seen as a draft dodger, he sat at Oxford when the Vietnam War was going on, didn't get into the war, uh, was, uh, you know, first thing he did when he came in was uh, try to get engaged in the military, uh, upset the Joint Chiefs of Staff to the point that one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff actually sort of pulled rank and, and basically told them that he did, disagreed with this and wanted to quit. And so you, you have a situation where... Uh, Democrats are usually uh, anti-military, not anti-military, but not sympathetic to the military. Jimmy Carter, for example, canceled the B-1 bomber. He cut $5 billion from the, from the defense budget, uh, different things like this. Bill Clinton uh, was not sympathetic to the to the uh, to the military, whereas you get Republicans are always seen to uh, get a lot more votes, a lot more of the high-ranking military people. So it's sort of like Stephen Greer says, and I probably true that they do a psychological profile of the president and they take a look at can they trust the president with this secret. Yeah. And if you take a look at Bill Clinton, I mean, if they had to give Bill Clinton a secret, he may have spilled the beans because yeah. he basically stood up and said, I wasn't told the secret and I may not be the first president who was kept in the uh, probably not the first president has been kept in the dark. Very dramatic thing for a president to actually come out and admit because presidents are sworn to secrecy and normally you wouldn't have a president coming out and saying, uh, there's, um, there's a problem inside the government, and uh, I'm going to tell you that there's somebody else running the country. I mean, it's something that uh, they, they probably are saying, you know, good thing we didn't tell them. Uh, you know, the SOB would have told everybody if, if you really had found out. So it was sort of like, if you can trust the president, you'll tell them. Uh, you might have uh, George W., who's done a lot of talking about UFOs, may have been told, but then again, 
uh, may not even be interested, couldn't care less. Yeah. Um, some people have been told, we know, for example, um, George W. Bush, I've, I have a CD that you can get on my website where I have all the audios that have been collected from the various presidents and what they said. And one of the audios we have is uh, George Bush Sr. in 1988 on the campaign trail being asked by Charles Huffer about the UFOs. And he was um, had just coming off being uh, um, the CIA director, been fired by Jimmy Carter, and um, was asked by Charles Huffer, if you become president, will you release the UFO secret? And George Bush Sr. said, yeah, I'll release it, yeah, no problem. And uh, he said, uh, you, you can send me some stuff. If you've got some stuff, send it to me. And Charles Huffer says, what do you mean, send you stuff? <laughs> uh, you, you're the CIA, you CIA director, you know what's going on. And Bush said, and we have this on tape, he said, yeah, I know some of it, yeah, I know a lot. So here you have huh. Bush actually confirming that he knew what was going on, even though he was a sort of a weak vice president. The only reason he got to be president because he was vice president to a very strong president, President Reagan. Uh, he was seen as a very weak uh, person. He was like a sort of a, he was an ambassador to China. He was only CIA director for one year. Really had no strong uh, government experience that would indicate that he'd be a strong president. Uh, basically, Reagan uh, pushed it, and he got in, and basically got kicked out the first term. But he he knew what was going on. Uh, the other thing people have to remember when you're talking about a president, whether a president knows, uh, the only time that a president, I think, would be told, and this this goes for everything that a president has. A president is a very busy guy. If you ever seen their schedule, I've spent a lot of time in presidential archives. I've looked at a lot of presidential schedules, and people cannot believe how busy these guys. Are. I mean, this, yeah. the day starts at six o'clock in the morning. It'll end at ten or eleven o'clock at night. They have like ten photo ops. They have about five meetings. They have uh, this, that. They're and if things go by minute, they're in this minute. And then they go here. They answer a phone call. Then they got another phone call. Then they got a, a meeting for five minutes. Then they got another phone call, and it just goes on like that for like sixteen, eighteen hours a day. Oh yeah, and. They have no time to read anything. The way a president is given information, and this this covers, I think, a lot of what goes on, is if the president has a, a certain um, thing that they have to know about, they have to, they have, they're going to push a program or something. They bring a person in, and instead of getting the president to read 2,000 pages of, uh, of stuff that he hasn't got time to read, they basically bring in a guy and they do briefings. And this is why I say to people, if you ever get a high-ranking official, whether it's a president or vice president, when I talk to Dick Cheney, uh, if you get him, you have, the only question that applies, the only question you should be asking is the briefing question. In your time in government, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if so, when was it and what were you told? And that comes down to the fact that if a president is told the UFO story, he's going to be told the story in a briefing, as he has told everything in a briefing. Instead of seeing the, the, the long, convoluted history of UFOs, they're going to bring a guy in if he wants to know the story, and they're going to give him a briefing, and they're going to say to the guy, okay, you got 15 minutes with the president. Here it is. You got to do it one page. You give him a one page review. The president sits there and he listens to the to 15 minutes. You tell him the whole story in 15 minutes. And the, the reason they would tell him is either something is going to break. There's a UFO question coming in and from a major uh, reporter yeah. or something. The same as a scandal. A scandal's breaking. They're going to brief the president. The president doesn't know everything. The president doesn't need to know everything. All the president needs to know is what's going to come up in the next news conference. What's the hot item of the day? What are people voting on? He doesn't need to know. There's millions and millions. Of I, I, on my webpage, I have on the Clinton, at the beginning of the Clinton, and I can't remember what it was, but it's something like 17 million pages a year is classified by the government, plus all the stuff that isn't classified. The president has not got time to read millions of pages oh, yeah. of documents. 
So they do it by briefing. So the, the key on the, on the UFO question is, if you get a guy, and this would happen to Dick Cheney, the, the story was that Dick Cheney was a guy in the know. Dick Cheney's a very powerful guy, knew the UFO secret. He had been his chief of staff for Ford in the Ford administration. He had been Secretary of Defense under Bush Sr. He was the vice president under uh, Bush. And the story was the Republicans knew. So as soon as he got in, he went on a radio talk show in Washington, D.C. on the Diana Reem show. Yeah. I had learned how to get on these talk shows. I was the first person on the line. So Dick, Dick Cheney came up, and I asked him the question, and it was the briefing question. And it, yep. hey, I don't care what you think about UFOs. I don't care if you ever seen a UFO. I could not care less. All I want to know is one thing, and that's what I said to Dick Cheney. In all your jobs in government, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if so, when was it, and what were you told? And I don't think Dick Cheney had ever faced a UFO question in his life. He was taken off guard. He really stumbled. He made the wrong statement. He said, and this is on tape. You can go to the Diana Reem website to the archives, and you can actually hear the actual audio tape of him answering the question. He said, if I had been briefed on that subject, it would probably be classified and I wouldn't be talking about it. And I just fell over because, I mean, the, the government contention has always been, whether it's Blue Book or whatever stories they put out, there's nothing to this. It's people's imagination. Nothing's going on. So if there's nothing going on, yeah, then what's classified? The only time you're going to classify something is if it's for real. And if it's classified, that means there's documents. The government has always maintained there's no documents. We do, we've released all the documents. So if it's classified, there's documents that have been withheld from the people. If the documents have been withheld from the people, there is a cover-up. End of story. And he basically confirmed there's a cover-up. There is a classified aspect to UFOs and that he's not going to talk about it. And by then Diana remastered him a question, and by then he'd sort of got his footing. And the way the government yeah goes is they sort of talk around the subject. So she said, Mr. Cheney, has the Bush administration done any work on UFOs? And he said, well, there's been no UFO meetings in the White House since I got here, which is probably true. Yeah. And so that's how he walked around the question of, of evading the question of whether the Bush administration is working on it. So that, that's the basic contention is, if you ever get a, a high-ranking official, and we did it with Wesley Clark. Wesley Clark came out, this is a very interesting story, he came out, and this is where I sort of see that the UFO community has somewhat stumbled, that a lot of times the UFO community sort of shoots themselves in the head. When, when Wesley Clark was campaigning, he was a four-star general. It's the highest rank that the U.S. military now gives to generals. The only time you give a five-star is in a major war. There are no five-star generals. There are only four-star generals. Wesley Clark's a four-star general. And Wesley Clark wanted to be an astronaut. The only reason he couldn't be an astronaut, he couldn't get in the Air Force because he had glasses. He couldn't get in the Air Force. So he decided he was going to go into the Army, and he ended up becoming a four-star general. So uh, he comes up on the campaign trail, and he's very interested in space, and he's asked a question in the New Hampshire campaign, just when the 2004 election starts. He's campaigning. He's one of the leaders in the, the Democrats. Yep, yep. And he makes a statement in, in, in answer to a question by J. Buckley, who was one of the uh, shuttle astronauts. And Buckley asks him, what's your vision of space? And uh, Wesley Clark goes into this rant about space. Oh, I've always wondered about space and uh, uh, the interest part of space. And I've always believed that we can go past the speed of light. And I've argued with physicists about it, and uh, they don't believe it, but I believe we can. And I'm going, this is bizarre. I'm a four-star general. is actually yeah, saying he yeah. thinks we can go past the speed of light. So I put this out, and I basically, because I'd gotten that with Cheney, I said, this guy isn't the president. He's not the vice president, but he's a four-star general. Let's ask him the question and see if he stumbles. Yeah. On the, because he was running around to different places in the United States, and he was holding open houses. Yeah, 
he was taking all, he was taking open questions. He would answer any question that people would ask. And he, when you're on the campaign trail, you're not going to try to evade the question because you want to be the open guy. It's not until you get in government that you start covering the stuff up. Yeah. So I figured this is the ideal opportunity, and he's running around. And so I started asking people, and, well, first I put it out, and I got from the story of the birds. There's a bunch of guys who are former intelligence-type people who are sort of had some experience with UFOs in the past and didn't get the whole story and were worked around Bill Moore, and these guys sort of became the birds. The aviary? Yeah. And so I'm, I've sort of known, I've dealt with all the people indirectly one way or the other, and I've got questions to them, and if they uh, believe my question is legitimate, I may get some sort of indirect answer back. So I put to somebody who has a major contact with the birds who uh, passes these questions to me, and um, I said, uh, Wesley Clark has, has said this, and uh, what do you think? And I got back a, from the guy who passes the question, I got back a simple reply, an email reply, which said, one of the birds said, Clark has been given a briefing on crash flying saucers. So I went, holy cow. So I started contacting MUFON state directors all over the United States. I would have Wesley Clark schedule exactly where he was going to be. And I would go to state directors and I'd say, okay, he's going to be in your city tomorrow. Can you stand up and ask him the briefing question? And this is what I want. And I could not believe it. I had people, state directors, MUFON state directors saying, I can't, I, I don't want to embarrass him. I don't want to ask the question. Oh, man. I said, well, come on. Wait, what do you mean embarrass him? I mean, what are we going to do here? This is obviously stupid. And if we're not going to ask the question. You can't expect him. Ufology always blames the media. The media doesn't go and, 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 and get to the bottom of the story. Well, if we're not going to ask the question, why would you expect the media to go and do stuff exactly. that we don't do ourselves? Yeah. And nobody would ask the question until, and one of the people who had actually first turned me down on the question and said, well, he really didn't know anyone asked the question, was Dr. David Rudiak, who's just outside of um, Berkeley, met him, very good friends with him, had done research with him. He's a brilliant, brilliant researcher. Anything you want to know on past UFO stuff, especially out of the 50s, he's got all the newspaper articles. He tracks stuff. He's meticulous about his research. He'll send you eight pages on anything you want to give you all the background on stuff. So he had first declined to ask the question when, when uh, Wesley Clark went to Berkeley. But near the end, two days before the election ended, uh, Wesley Clark was out of the campaign, but he was uh, campaigning for Kerry. And he was in Nevada. He was going. To, he was in Reno, Nevada, and he was heading for Roswell the very next day because Roswell, New Mexico, was one of the swing states. It was five votes or whatever it was, and it was one of the states they didn't know which way it was going to go. So everybody was heading to New Mexico the day before the election. So he was in Reno, and David Rudiak happened to be at the University of uh, Reno, and he was researching there. And he figured, well, okay, I'll go down and, and watch Wesley Clark. And he knew the briefing questions, so he said, at the end, he decided to ask him a question. So he said, Dr. We Do uh, he said, General Clark, uh, I'd like to ask you, in your time in the military, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if so, when was it? And what were you told? And Wesley Clark again stumbled. He said, yeah, I know some of it. Uh, he said, in fact, I'm going to Roswell tonight. Huh. And uh, Rudiak, being smart, because w the way it happens is they'll indirectly answer your question. They won't answer the question or answer it with a question with a question and stuff. And he wasn't, he wasn't stupid enough to, to fall for the Roswell thing and go down that trail. He went back to the original question. He said, so you have been briefed. And then Clark said, uh, well, I know some. Uh, we've, got a pro no, we've got a problem with the mathematics which is a very revealing statement yeah. because Ben Rich, uh, in a, is, ben Rich ran Skunk Works, and the story of Ben Rich was that Ben Rich, just before he died, he was dying of cancer again, had made a, made a lecture in California in front of a bunch of engineers in which he had said, 
we now have the technology to take ET home. And one of the engineers who runs the uh, MUFON group for Orange County had realized the significance of the statement, had gone after Ben Rich after he left the lecture out in the parking lot, and basically had talked to him. He said, well, what do you know? Uh, what can you tell me? I'm very interested in this and stuff. And Ben Rich had said, we've discovered the... The, the, we've discovered the mistake in the equation. So here you have both, both Ben Rich and um, uh, Wesley Clark both talking about mathematics. And if you look at uh, Hal Putoff, and Hal Putoff is a very guy, a smart guy who I respect probably more than anybody in the UFO community, and he's also working on the mathematics. That the UFO thing, that a lot of the hang-up, a lot of what's going on in the inner circles is mathematics. It's not hardware. You may have the hardware, but you need the mathematics to figure it out. So you have these, these things that if you take a look at different stories, they all link together. And so the Wesley Clark thing is a, another one that you had a guy, he was caught off guard. He's a guy who was briefed, and you ask him the question, and they will give you a little piece of the story. They won't answer the question. Both him and uh, Cheney didn't directly answer the question, but what they uh, did say spoke volumes about what's actually going on. All right, so with these, there's obviously this campaign is coming up. There's obviously going to be another one in 2008. Um, do you suggest using that briefing question more than, obviously, if you ask them if they're going to disclose, they'll give you some flippant answer. You're not really going to get anywhere with that. Right, briefing they'll, question. they'll say, yeah, sure. Now, what if, what if you're, you know, because I'm in Boston, right, so I can be up in New Hampshire all the time because that's okay. where they hang out. What, what if it's like a state senator? I mean, what if it's like a senator or a governor who's running for president uh, in 2008? Is there, there, is there a different phraseology of the question, you think, or is it still briefing? Okay, it depends, it depends who's running. For example, the one that might be uh, open is Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton may be running. Uh, in fact, I would say she will be running. She did state in 1992 that there would be a woman president by 2010. I think that she figures she can run. She may stay in for a while, see what happens, but I think she will run. Hillary is in a situation where I'm pretty sure she was um, cut out of the loop. I'm 100% sure. In fact, there was a bunch of people um, around the campaign. There was a guy who had worked with the CIA a UFO researcher who told me that he was contacted indirectly by Hillary Clinton to get UFO material. Uh, 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 Sims, what's his name? Um, the alien hunter. Oh, Daryl Sims. Daryl Sims. Daryl Sims also claimed that he was contacted by a third party, by a female friend of Hillary Clinton, asking for all the videos that he had, that Bill and Hillary Clinton wanted to see them, and that this woman had taken the videos and she contacted them back later and said that Bill and Hillary were very interested. So they've gone through secondary people, and Hillary Clinton was very interested. In fact, she may have been more interested. On my website, I have all the different times that Hillary Clinton talked about it. She talked about UFOs a lot. Uh, very interested in the whole thing, was involved in the Rockefeller Initiative, uh, and she's a, she's a person that the question would be, and she's the one that you would have to change the question, and that is because um, if you're talking to a high military person, for example, somebody who's been a, a president, a vice president, but there's going to be no, uh, those people will all be out of the loop. Like, unless Cheney runs, but I don't think Cheney's going to run. But it has to be somebody who's in the loop. So Someone will get a briefing. Yeah, like the last time you would have asked George Bush the question, but George Bush won't be running this time, so you can't really use the briefing question. Or if you get a high-ranking military guy running, then you would ask the briefing question. But Hillary Clinton, you'd ask the other question. You'd ask, uh, when you were in the White House, as um, did you ever ask for a UFO briefing? And were you ever involved in the subject? And if so, what were you told? Because I know we know for a fact, and we can provide...
whoever's going to ask the question, we can work on the question, we can provide all the material that will show what, what the extent of her knowledge was. Yeah, what she did, but basically to confirm this, the, the, the Clinton story, that they were desperately trying to find out what was going on. So it would be a question like, did you ever ask for a UFO briefing? Did you ever try to find out what was going on? And if so, what were you, what were you told? Which, again, then gets her to confirm the fact that, yes, they did actually try to, uh, to get to the bottom of the thing and that they weren't able to get anything. So it's best to, like, so you should ask, uh, like, a pretty detailed sort of question or a question that uh, you have an idea of what you want for an answer instead yeah, of, sort it of has a nebulous to, question. It has to be a, it always has to be a question that says, did you did you do this or that rather than an opinion question. You stay away yeah. from what's your opinion about UFOs because they'll they'll all like Jimmy Carter loves that question. He just absolutely loves it. He'll talk about his UFO sighting and, and how many people were there and what they saw and how magnificent it was and he doesn't laugh at people who who um, uh, you know, don't you know, see UFOs, but that really doesn't tell you anything. But the one question that he did stumble, and we've got the, the video and the audio on this, is um, these were some guys who were doing Out of the Blue, the documentary, yeah. and I knew them, and they had approached him at a, um, a book signing comp uh, thing where they um, sort of slowed the line down because Jimmy Carter can sign hundreds of books an hour. It's just it's tremendous. The, move, the line is just moving as he oh, signs. Yeah. And so what they did is they used a guy in a wheelchair, and they slowed the line huh. down. And so they were able to ask the question, and they asked him the question, you promised that you released the UFO information. What did you do when you were in the White House? Nice. Okay, yeah. And it was basically, that's the kind of question you want. If, especially if it's a sitting, uh, former sitting president, you ask them, what did you do about this subject when you were in the White House, to actually get them to spell out uh, details rather than opinions and stuff like that. Yeah. And Jimmy Carter stumbled, and he said, there's a lot of, now I can't remember exact words, but there's a lot of different possibilities, but nobody has the answers, which again leads to the fact that Jimmy Carter um, tried to get the answer, but was stonewalled the same as Jimmy Carter, or uh, Bill Clinton. Yeah. So here you have a situation, and I know I had him on the line twice. I had him on the Diana Reem show twice. The first time, they actually took the question, and it was going to be the briefing question, because Jimmy Carter will talk about his UFO sighting ad nauseum. He'll talk about how interested he is in UFOs and all this sort of stuff. Who cares? And uh, all I wanted to know is, did you get briefed? Because there was a lot of rumored stories about June of 1977 that he had a briefing, that he forced a briefing. There's a story told by an aide, a former aide of his, and now the guy's denying the story, but that he'd been in the UFO briefing and that Jimmy Carter had been briefed. Yeah. So there's always the stories that Jimmy Carter was a, an A-type executive. He didn't take any crap from anybody, and he didn't care. He was going to fire anybody that, that, that denied him, and he forced a briefing. He was cut out, but he forced a briefing, and they gave him some sort of uh, gobbledygook briefing about UFOs and this sort of stuff. And he was shown the Holloman Air Force Base film, the film of the UFOs landing. So basically, to him, I wanted to find out, were you ever been briefed? So the first time they took the question on the line, and Jimmy Carter is very long-winded when he answers questions. So basically, I sat on the line, and I, they didn't answer my question. The second time, I was more aware of how to get first on the line. I got on the line, and I was the first one to pick up. And they and I said, I want to ask Jimmy Carter the question, have you ever been briefed? When you were in the White House, you, you, you're known as the UFO president. When you were in the White House, were you ever briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if so, when was it, and what were you told? And that's the key point is, when was it? Because uh, I had a friend, the same guy who passes the questions to the birds, 
who had an intelligence background and was able to actually, on my behalf, talk to two former sitting presidents. And, and, and so w one of them was uh, Gerald Ford. And Gerald Ford confirmed that he'd, been, he'd seen the Holloman Air Force Base film, that he'd been briefed on UFOs, even though in public he'll always say that he really tried to get information and wasn't able to get anything. This sort of stuff. But confirmed that he was, and he was asked a question when was the briefing. And at that point, Gerald Ford says, I'm never going to admit I was briefed, so don't even go there. Because the thing is, if you can get the date, and there was yeah. Jimmy Carter was June the 14th or whatever it was, 1977, if you can actually get the date, yeah. then with the Freedom of Information, if you get Jimmy Carter on the record and says on June 14th, 77, I was briefed on UFOs, then you've got an FOA and there's no way they can then, then deny it because you can get the briefing. And if you get the briefing, the briefing will be the truth. Because they're going to give you disinformation, me disinformation, but the President of the United States is the head of the Commander-in-Chief of the military. He's the head of the executive branch of the government. He is the chief guy, and that is the, the, the best intelligence. All the intelligence people are working for the President of the United States. So the answer to the to UFO mystery of what does the U.S. government know will be told to the President in the briefing. Everything else is disinformation. Nobody else has a right to know. Only the President has a right to know. So that, that's the, the key thing. And, I, and so I went there, and, and the woman said, well, hang on. And then the Go, they go online. You can, you're on the line. You know that, that, and I can hear Jimmy Carter talking in the background. And I'm online. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm first up. I know I'm gonna ask this question. And then suddenly she comes back about a minute and a half later. She says, uh, "I'm sorry, your question is sort of off topic." He's talking about he'd written a book on the Civil War or something. Your topic. Your your soft topic. I'm afraid we can't take the question. Oh man. What I think may have happened is they showed the question to Jimmy Carter, and he shook his head and said, "No, he didn't want to take the question." Yeah. So they came back and said, well, I'm off topic, and they wouldn't take the question. But eventually, I will, and it's, it's, it's a tough thing to do. Oh, I, mean, I remember when I asked this, the question to uh, the times I was on the line and the time when I, I, I one time tried to get a hold of Hillary, and I, I got on the line there, and uh, with uh, 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 the vice president, I mean, your, your stomach is in your throat. I mean, you're, you realize you're about to ask a question that every news media guy for the last 50 years has been afraid to ask. The, the president of the United States has only faced the UFO question twice. Everybody is dead scared to ask the question. He was asked the question in 1947, two days, two or three days after Roswell occurred. He was asked the wrong question. He was asked about, you know, what about all this UFO stuff in the, or flying saucer stuff in the newspaper, which he was able to walk around. And in 1954, Eisenhower was asked the question in December of 1954. He was asked the question about, oh, there's a bunch of UFO sightings in, uh, in Europe. What do you think? And he basically walked around and said, oh, uh, a military guy that I respect said there's nothing to it. So here you have a situation where the White House press corps is dead afraid because they've worked their whole life to get into the White House press corps, and nobody wants to ask a stupid question. Everybody wants to ask an uh, intelligent question about the uh, implications of uh, economic collapse in uh, Ethiopia or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like they're smart. Uh, even um, Deborah Oren. Deborah Oren was a reporter, still works for the New York Post. Deborah Oren hated the Clintons. She was one of the people who pushed the, 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 the Monica Lewinsky story. She tells a story about in 1997, I believe it was Webster Hubble, writes a book, and in his book he said that Bill Clinton, when he was associate, uh, justice, or associate at the uh, Department of Justice, uh, was called in by Clinton. Clinton given him the job, and Clinton said, I want you to answer two questions for me when you're down there at Justice. I want you to find out who killed JFK, and I want to find out if there are UFOs. And Hubble put this in his book, in his biography, yeah, yeah. and he released it. The day after it came up, the White House was having a press conference with uh, the, the White House uh, press secretary, 
And Deborah Orn, who hated the Clintons and wasn't afraid to ask the question, stood up and said, um, I want to ask you, did Bill Clinton send Webster Hubble out to find out about UFOs? And the, the press secretary said, no, we give that job to the, to the alien. And this is a story, it's a long, involved story, but the Weekly World News has always run a story about this alien that predicts. He predicts yeah, that uh, yeah. Bill Clinton would win. He predicted that George Bush would win. Uh, George Bush Sr., he predicted that Clinton would win. And they always have this weird story about this alien that's predicting the alien. He's meeting with the president and all this sort of stuff. And this is the alien they're talking about. They said, no, we give that job to the alien. And everybody sort of laughs. And she comes back with a follow-up question. She said, is what Mr. Hubble writes, yeah, she kind of used the same question, so she comes back with another question. Says, is what Mr. Hubble writes in his story, in his book, true? And the press secretary said, I'm not going to comment on what people write in their books. Uh, that, that I'm not going to comment on that. So she was a, they were able to avoid this question about, did Bill Clinton give this job to Webster Hubble to go and find out whether UFOs were real, if there was a, a truth to this? And she said, and this is an interview she did later on, and I found in some obscure book that she was interviewed, and she said, in this interview, she said, I sat there and waited for the rest of the White House press corps to follow up with another question. And they all rolled over and played dead. And that's what the situation, everybody, even ufologists, everybody's afraid to ask the question, to stand up to a very powerful person that you'd like to ask a nice, smart question about economy or, or uh, the war in Iraq or something like that. But everybody, it's like a goofball. They've been able to paint the UFO situation as a goofball issue, and nobody wants to spend their whole life getting into the White House press corps and then ask the stupid UFO question and then have them never call on you again because they figure you're going to ask another stupid question. And that's what they're afraid of. You want to, you want to be respected. You want to be called on in the, in the, um, in the, the, the things. So you want to ask questions that won't offend the president too much. Yeah. So it's like the ridicule factor is uh, keeping the press core from yeah, trying to. But, but it also long plays, long. plays a fact in ufology where it shouldn't. Yeah. Why do, you think, why do you think that is though? Well, I think it's basically a lot of researchers are trying, like I did, to try to prove to their friends and relatives that they're not crazy, and yet they, they, they realize there's a lot of ridicule, and so you get a lot of researchers who will say, oh, I'm, I'm skeptical about UFO sightings. Uh, they'll talk, like, for example, I'll talk to them in, in public and in, in, in private. They're saying something completely different. You know, they'll talk about things as if this is all for real and it's all going on, and then suddenly they get interviewed by the, the newspaper and they talk about the fact that 95% or 90% of all UFO sightings are hoaxes, and I believe this, and, and, and they start coming across like they're a skeptic, and because skeptics sound like they're, they're, they're evaluating the situation, they're smart, they're, you know, I'm not, I'm not gullible. Yeah. And yet a, a skeptic is exactly the opposite. I mean, somebody who's gullible will believe everything. A skeptic is somebody who will believe nothing. So you've got to be in between and say, I'm not a skeptic, I'm not, a, I'm not gullible, and I'm not a skeptic. I'm trying to find out what the truth is, and this is what I think the truth is. And it doesn't make me gullible, it doesn't make me a skeptic. So a, lo a lot of people play the sort of the game because they're afraid that if they come across and say, oh, I believe this is all for real, I believe this is uh, going on, and they... Wilbur Smith is talking to aliens, everybody's going to say, well, this guy's a goofball, he actually believes this garbage, and suddenly you sort of uh, lose your chance to make a million dollars at U UFOs. You always want to be respected, the, the guy who's going to be listened to, and you don't want to say anything stupid that you've got to take back. So do you think any, any uh, politician will ever, any mainstream politician will ever run uh, with a UFO issue in, in as part of their... Well, they have, and, and it hasn't gotten anywhere, which is another reason why government will never release it, because it's not a main issue. Steve, uh, Stephen Bassett, who's a good friend of mine, who was uh, a co-author, we were doing a book on the presidents, 
and was running around New York trying to get the book published in, in New York and went through 70 publishers or whatever, and nobody wanted to touch the issue of the presidency of UFOs. Yeah. Um, he ran for Congress in Maryland, got one and a half percent of the vote, basically spent his whole inheritance, all the money he had left, left him totally broke, and got one and a half percent of the vote. And the whole the whole deal is that I always say the best thing that could happen for ufology is $20 a gallon gas. That the higher the gas goes, the more this issue is going to become an issue that people are going to listen to. Yeah. So basically, people are in a situation where they work hard every day, they come home, they uh, got to feed their kids, they got to take their kids to baseball practice, they've got this, they've got that, and UFOs is an interest, and the same thing happens in ufology, it's a, it's a hobby, it's an issue, uh, it's not an issue, it's a hobby, and people like this, hear the stories, they, you know, they'll listen to me, and I've got 101 stories, and they just sit there and listen with interest, but to stand up and actually do something about it, it, it's, you know, it's, it hasn't affected your pocketbook. When it affects your pocketbook, then people are going to stand up and this thing is going to turn around on a dime. And that, that's what I'm saying. The higher the gas price goes, the better chance there's going to be disclosure. But as long as gas is $1.90 a gallon, who cares? We'll drill another oil well in Alaska. We'll uh, put another refinery in here. We'll put some pressure on the Arabs. We'll uh, change the daylight saving time to save, save an hour. And we'll scam people. People are not going to do something. People, the government does not move on good ideas. That's where I sort of disagree with Stephen Bassett. Stephen Bassett promotes this as a good idea, and I say it's absolutely a good idea. Yes, we should disclose this, but the problem is that the government has never on any issue disclosed something that never, or not disclosed, but changed um, their momentum, their thoughts, on our policy based upon something that's a good idea. And in my lectures, I always refer to them all. And you can go through all of history, and it works the same way. Women, women's right to vote, grand idea, but it didn't happen. Women demonstrated, and I got photographs of women at the White House in the thousands demonstrating. War in Vietnam, we now say, bad idea, should never have been there. But for years, we sat there, and the government defended it. It was not until you had 250,000 people on the Washington Mall that the government suddenly said, oh, I think it's a good idea to get, rid of, get out of Vietnam. <laughs> then they got out of Vietnam. You take a look at it, and we always say in ufology, oh, the government picks on us. I mean, we're, they're, they're, they're trying to you know, get rid of us and all this stuff. It's not, not the case. You really couldn't care less because we're not a threat. We haven't really, we haven't really. If we had um, a campaign in the 1990s to demonstrate at the White House, we had like 40 people. Big deal. Who cares? I mean, that, that's not a threat. You take gay rights. It used to be uh, a thing that you would never, as a politician, ever take the side of gay rights. And then suddenly they had, you know, 10,000 or 50,000 gays in Washington on the Washington Mall, and suddenly they went, "Oh man, there's a couple of votes here." And it all comes down to votes. People, uh, people will change their position based upon the votes. So if there's a, so if there's like a, there needs to be more of a movement amongst uh, yeah. people who want answers. Yeah, exactly. And you can't, you can't get, you can't get a researcher to ask a question to a to a top politician just to stand up. You're in this. You're going to the guy's lecture. Stand up and ask a question. No, we can't even do that. And these are the top people in ufology who won't do it. So you you have a situation where you have politicians who don't really have to answer the question. It's, if you were to go through the top 200 issues, it wouldn't come in as one of the top 200 issues. And you have to create a, a need to sell it. You've got to sell yeah. the thing. And I remember there was a story that uh, there was a girl by the name of Laura Johnstone, who I knew very well. And I used to, when, she, when this first happened, I wrote the articles that described who Laura Johnston was. And I figured it was a very significant event. And it related to presidential politics. And what happened was George 
Bush, George W. Bush, when he was on the campaign trail, had told Charles Huffer, the same guy who asked George Bush Sr. the question about UFOs, had been contacted in Arkansas. He came through, and Huffer always asked the campaign guys the, the question about the UFO thing, will you disclose? And, of course, George W. Bush said, yeah, well, we'll do that. And Dick Cheney was standing right beside him, and he said, in fact, this is the former Secretary of Defense. He's a good man, and it'll be the first thing he does when he gets in the White House. We're going to disclose UFOs. So Charles Huffer gets all excited. They put the story. We got it on tape. We got the audio tape, the whole bit. It's all for real. And uh, they get in the White House. And, of course, they do absolutely nothing. Yeah. So a woman by the name of Laura Johnston, who was a uh, – uh, she'd been in the civil rights movement. She had been uh, – spent her whole life getting arrested. She loved it. She outside the White House, get arrested. And – picked various issues that she figured were significant for the world and she would demonstrate and she would do something. And what happened was uh, like any of the other issues, she decided that, that it was time that the UFO community got uh, organized and she was going to go on a hunger strike. She went on a hunger strike uh, demanding that George W. Bush answer Charles Huffer's question. That, that Charles Huffer deserved an answer, that he had promised Charles Huffer the answer, that he was going to disclose what UFOs were all about, and that she was going to go on a hunger strike, and until death, she was going to not eat until the president answered the question. She was on a hunger strike for 42 days, and I remember as, oh, wow. as this thing wheeled along, and I was with her, and I remember she was on number, I was on a number of radio talk shows with her all over the place, and she got a lot of radio, radio interviews. Sometimes she was doing three or four radio interviews a day. She, it was a, like it was one of these goofy little stories that everybody likes yeah. to run. Yeah. And, but they sort of had her as the coop UFO lady who was on a hunger strike. And meanwhile, Charles Huffer's scared. He figured she's going to die. I was kind of scared. Everybody was scared. And basically, what happened in the UFO community was they basically turned on her. They basically said, this woman's oh, crazy. Man. What's she doing? Charles Huffer wandered her off the hunger strike. They said, there's a better way to do this. And she, I, I, you, you can't even imagine how little support she got. She got ridiculed. And so in the end, I phoned her up and I said, you know, I was talking to her. How you doing? She said, I'm off the hunger strike. And I said, what happened? She said, I just determined that if, they, if the UFO people don't give a damn, why should I give my life up for this? For people who don't give a damn. And that's what it came down to. The UFO community had a woman who was ready to give her life for this cause, and they did nothing. And I'm telling you, that, that's the truth. They did nothing for her except ridicule her. And uh, so you have a situation where until we get uh, uh, something, and I think it's got to be something dramatic, I think it'll be high cost of oil, where people just, it's, it's a pocketbook issue where it means something, or enough people like gays, you have enough gays where, where its votes are, are at stake, or women's right to vote, or whether it's like a lot of people, um, we're now into the big ecology thing, and you got Greenpeace. You know, yeah. people figure that they got a free ride. They didn't. I mean, you, you take a look at the history of Greenpeace. It goes back 30 years, and it started with five people and 10 people and 20, and it built, and people, uh, you know, gave up careers and, and did all sorts of stupid things and got arrested and stuff. And, and we don't have that kind of commitment inside the UFO community. People don't, the people who are running it don't believe in it strong enough. Uh, they're still the same thing. They're feeding their kids, and it's a, it's an interest. You can go to a a conference. I can be brought into conferences, and I got lots of stories, and people like to hear the stories. And when it when when it goes back out, those people basically just go to the next conference. It's sort of an interesting thing. They take a couple of days. You know, they have a bar at night, and people get together and exchange UFO stories. But there's really nobody out there 
really marshaling the forces yeah. and no real movement. So until there's a movement, uh, nothing's going to happen. And Stephen Greer tried it, and Stephen Greer actually did get, I mean, 250,000 people or whatever it was when he had the big news conference with the disclosure witnesses. He had 250,000 people, and you figured, oh, this is going to get it off the ground, but it still wasn't an issue. It was kind of an interesting thing that he managed to get the highest rated uh, internet broadcast, but uh, still people wanted to hear the interesting stories and then they just went off and did their own thing and went back to feeding their kids and taking them to baseball practice and stuff like this. It's, it's an issue that, that really hasn't, and it, when, when the time comes, it, it will, it, it will, um, it will come in, in, in the proper time. For example, I always say to people, you got to remember, not only is the government covering up the aliens, they're covering up the aliens at any time they want can land in 20 different cities. They haven't landed for one reason. They don't want to land. They want the cover-up. They want this thing the same as the government. And that may be one of the reasons why the government is covering up, because the aliens are covering up, that it's, it's right to cover this thing up. Yeah, speak to that for a minute. What do you think uh, the aliens now, like you said, they can disclose any time they want. What do you think is keeping them from disclosing from what you, can, or what you know from your research? Lots of different things. Wilbur Smith said, as he said, when he when he shut this this uh, anti gravity control experiment down, he said it's better it's better that the government didn't figure out how this thing worked. They just put a build bigger and better weapons. I mean, you take a look at the the American uh, experience. I mean, it's one war after another. I mean, it's like uh, and, and there's no ifs ands or buts about it that the military. I'm sure is interested not in the aliens, could care less where they're from. It's not their main interest. Their main interest is in how, well, what's this technology like? Can we end the war in, in Iraq faster? Can we uh, capture bin Laden with this if we had this technology? If you should take a look at the technology, and it's pretty sophisticated technology, if you can abduct uh, um, somebody, and, which does seem to be what they can do, and take that person through a wall, and the person doesn't even know they were abducted, you can go over to uh, Saudi Arabia, to Russia, you can grab the leader of that country, bring them to the United States, and uh, go into their mind, find out what they know, what they, what they think, what they're planning, and put them back in bed and be back in Washington in time for breakfast. Yeah. This, this is sophisticated, sophisticated technology, and I'm telling you that that's what it's all about with the military, is, is this is the kind of stuff that you rule the world, and you can't release your 20% that you know because the other side might just need the 20% you're going to release. Yeah, so yeah. You, there, there's no way you can release it. And the aliens are in a situation where we're a bunch of kids, we still can't get together. We're 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 killing each other off. We're basically in a war society and a society where whoever has the most toys when they die wins, and uh, we're not ready for it. And they've they've said that. So they're doing the, the gradual disclosure thing too. And that's what I've always said. If you take a look at ufology and you take a look at what's going on, there is a pattern. There is the UFOs are taking a pattern. First of all, you've got. Um, Aliens just seen flying around, 1947-48. Then suddenly in 52, suddenly they're they're talking to people. Then in 1962, they're abducting people. Then you get um, uh, little little aliens running around with little uh, beams, or little rods with beams on them. Stories that I had back in the 1970s, or they're picking up uh, the people see them, and they're picking up uh, grass, and they're picking up and those kind of stories. Uh, Ted Phillips is the, the the top guy who collects those ground trace cases. Yeah. Ground trace cases don't exist anymore. So why is that? Why have they stopped doing ground trace cases? You don't get these stories of, of little aliens running around uh, picking up uh, water samples and leaving uh, burn marks, triangle burn marks in fields and stuff like this. And then they, you suddenly get uh, crop circles. And then you suddenly get... Uh, uh, um, cattle mutilations. 
cattle mutilations, and you get these these balls of light. If you take a look at the, the Mexico experience, this is completely different than anything we've ever experienced here. You get these things where you get 100, 200, 300, 500 yeah, these objects yeah, flying around. It's like the aliens are playing this little game, and they're just gradually letting people see. They're gradually acclimatizing people, and more and more as we go along, people are used to the ideas that aliens are here. They can't just drop in and say, guess what? And it's the idea that People will say, well, they're here to take over the world. They're not here to take over the world because you can't take over the world. The Americans have found that out in Iraq and in every other country that they tried to invade. You can invade a country. You can have the best technology. You can take over the country. But every time you raise your head, someone's going to blow a bomb. They're gonna, yeah. The aliens can't take over because every time they, they raise their head, someone's going to take a shot at them. Someone's going to try to blow them up. They, they can't take over. They're, they're not here to take over. They're here to watch what we're doing. And you see this in terms of of uh, the, the experiences that you have over military bases, that you see them shutting down military bases, you see them uh, rental some forest, the story about them disarming the, the, the weapons deep underground that the Americans said that they didn't have and they had no nuclear weapons and that they disarm these, these weapons or destroy these things. Uh, stories that might not, uh, just south of me in, in the United States, uh, pilot telling the story that they had to ram this UFO was sitting above the, the missile silo and they were given orders to ram this thing. That they're very interested in our, our, our technology. They're trying to uh, stop us from destroying ourselves. And uh, they have no intention of, of, of releasing the story right now of who they are. It's a gradual disclosure, and I think in, whether by accident or by plan, the U.S. government is taking the same sort of thing, is they're gradually releasing this thing to the public, and they're still trying to, in one way, take on the aliens or whatever they're trying to do or get the, the technological advantage over other countries that might be working on the program. And the aliens are, in one way, giving this giving the idea that they're here and at the same time realizing that the time is not right for, for them to actually be here because you have this universal law of non-intervention that you can't come in here and do our homework, that we have to either, you know, learn to deal with problems ourselves, they can't come in here because, and a lot of what people want for UFO disclosure is it basically you want cheaper gas. Man, do you think we could do, you know, we could heat our houses for nothing, we could do this and that, and it's all a self-centered type of thing. Yeah, we're yeah. not really interested in the other aspects we're interested in. We should have disclosure because uh, this will be good for, for the economy. It'll be good for this, good for that. Yeah. And, and the aliens aren't interested. They know much more the deep underlying reason that they're here, that it's got nothing to do with uh, us because basically we're going to use it, uh, the, the same people who control oil, the, the Exxons who made $10 billion in the last quarter are going to make $100 billion with this. And you have stories that, that run around in the UFO community like the Carlyle Group run by um, one of the former um, uh, National Security Advisors for Ronald Reagan, uh, running the Carlyle Group, and the Carlyle Group's rumored to be running around buying up all the companies with UFO technology. So you have this kind of stuff that uh, basically comes down to greed, comes down to money, and uh, there's nobody there that controls the secret who is really interested in the good of humanity. They're basically trying to protect themselves and the money and uh, might have some interest, but a lot of it still comes down to greed and who's going to control this thing when it all comes down and whether we can uh, rule the world and uh, prevent people that we don't trust or like, whether they're Arabs or Russians or whatever, from getting this kind of stuff, that we have to control it and whoever has this con can control it and can influence the world. Are you hopeful for, um, you sound pretty down on the idea of disclosure happening anytime soon. Are you hopeful? No. I, I, I don't think I'll live my lifetime to see it. Oh, really? Oh, no, never. 
Yeah, what about me? I'm 25. <laughs> you, you might, I mean, I, I think if something accidental happens or if they're able to, if, if you, you got to see the scenario. Either people are able to marshal a voting group that, that's able to influence politicians. And, yeah. and some politicians told Stephen Greer, you get the people out front and we'll back you. It's like as soon as the people are there, as soon as the votes are there, we're on your side and we're going to come public, but not until. Because why would you, I mean, you're, you're there to vote. Uh, why would you spend your 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 energy and effort on something that's going to get you no votes? I might actually lose you a pile of votes. Yeah. So uh, unless you get a marshalling or you get an ac accidental crash where they're not able to control the, the information or if you get a situation where um, those are about the only two scenarios I can see that you might get disclosure. The government will not disclose because I don't think the government really controls it. I think there's people inside the government that control it. Yeah. Bill, Bill Clinton says, a government inside the government. Uh, but if, if gas goes very, very high, if, if suddenly the, the bottom falls out of the energy, uh, I think you're going to get enough pressure where people are going to realize that um, we need more than hydrogen energy, we need more than wind power energy, that we, we've got to disclose this, this kind of thing. People are going to start to, uh, politicians are going to realize there's enough votes there that we should push the issue. But I'm very, um, very sort of down on disclosure, and yet I believe disclosure should come. I believe it's the best thing that can happen. I believe what Stephen Greer says, that there's there's no, nothing right about lying to people. That basically the truth is always the way to go. So basically I tell the truth. Uh, for example, I have this scenario that I was I was banned from the United States on a lecture. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that actually. Yeah, I was yeah. going down and I was stopped at, uh, I flew to Vancouver and I was flying to Los Angeles to make a lecture on the 64 reasons why the government has decided to keep this secret. And uh, Homeland Security told me I didn't have the proper uh, travel papers. I didn't have a, a work visa for my $100 honorarium, and they basically um, uh, shut me down, sent me back home again. I flew back home, I, and that's all that happened there. But um, I, I'm in a situation where um, I was I was kept out, and um, it, it was a, the UFO community really didn't back me. There were some people who were sympathetic to it. Um, but uh, the, in the incident at the border is yeah. really what I was going to ask you about. And also, uh, two months later, that happened two months ago, right? Yeah, September 2nd. Yeah, so it's been two months. You probably had a lot of time to reflect on it and maybe to get some more information. And, and since you were sort of going that way, um, how did ufology react to, to, um, to what happened to you? Okay, looking back after two months, I, I sort of assume it was, uh, I ran into a Homeland Security person who wasn't a big fan of UFOs and basically was going by the book because I, I when I talked to them, I said, well, I've, I've done lots of lectures in the United States. I've never needed a, a work permit to go across. I basically, I'm very honest. I, uh, and if people told me, they said, well, you should have gone to the border. You should have told me you're just going for vacation. And I said, well, if I did that, if I went there and lied to Homeland Security, why would you believe anything that I told you when I get to the other end of the line, when I lecture? Yeah. And uh, so I basically told them everything that was going on. I had the exactly what was getting paid, exactly what was going on, what lecture, when it was, all, all the, the schedules, all this sort of stuff. And basically, I think I ran into somebody who was very antagonistic to UFOs 
and because he was very cynical, it was it was a very humiliating experience. The guy was very rude, oh, and and uh, basically, uh, like for example, when I asked him, "Well, what do I do now?" He said, "I don't really care what you do. You can go back where you came from," and stuff like that. That yeah. he, uh, basically, they 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 say that they won't they won't treat you like that, and so it it sort of put me in a situation where I believe that it may not have been a and an intentional thing, and yet, and getting, there was another guy who was making a lecture. He was a a, a reporter out of England who was uh, not one of the embedded reporters. He refused to be embedded in the U.S. military forces when they were in Iraq during the invasion, and went running around and made a bunch of uh, stories that were not very sympathetic to what was the Americans were doing there. And he was also banned uh, about uh, three or four weeks later. He was making a speech in California, and he was banned for the same reason. He was he was uh, kicked out because uh, he. Didn't have the right papers to to lecture, so I think there there may be some sort of indirect thing. Now last weekend I went across the border again, and uh, I was held for 40 minutes. I was put in a little glass room, oh, and really? was, you know, given the 64 questions, and the car was. Uh, we went to a compound. The car was you know in, in done, but they did let me across, and I was just going to shop. But um, so I, I sort of faced that. It's, it's something that at the border, uh, sometimes I've actually, in fact, when I went to speak at Ozark in April, I actually ran into a, a customs officer who was actually interested. And she, I said, I'm going to disclose, you know, what the presidents know about UFOs. And she said, oh, what did I know? And she's asking me all these questions. Yeah. And meanwhile, the lineup's piling up behind me, and this woman wants to know what's going on. Eh? So I, a lot of it depends on who you run into. I don't think, uh, I was told by one Canadian customs person who was contacted that they've got bigger fish to fry than the UFO people, you know, they're looking for terrorists and, and weapons and this sort of so thing. You don't, so you don't think it was, a, that you're like, on a blacklist or anything like that? You just think you ran into a... Yeah, I think that probably. Although, I, when, once this other guy was, was kicked out, I seem to think that there was a chance that, that I actually was uh, targeted. Now, it's almost impossible for me now to lecture in the States. It has to do with how to get the, the uh, work visa that I have to go 900 miles to be, because I've been refused entry to the United States. I have to go and be interviewed by a consulate officer in order to get oh, a, a work visa, and the closest consulate is 900 miles away. So for a $100 honorarium to speak, am I going to fl fly 900 miles to be interviewed by a consulate officer and get a visa to go make one little speech? So you're you're sort of stuck in a situation where I, I plan to move in a few years, and then I'm in a situation where I'm close to a consulate. I can, but I'm sort of blacklisted. But it did, did sort of make me sort of famous. It's sort of like all the it's like the UFO community is a very conspiratorial community. Everybody believes the government's out to get them, and this sort of reinforced everybody's yeah, oh, yeah. that yeah. they're out to get us. Yeah. So it, with the, with that community, I was very uh, sort of their hero. That this this proves our our point that they're that they're out to get us. Eh? But you said, but you said you didn't, you didn't feel like you got the support that you should have from your Oh, apology. absolutely none. I mean, I, from the people that you would expect, like Ryan Wood was very supportive. He actually sent me money to pay for a lawyer. I was going to go to a to a lawyer to try to fight this. Um, and um, uh, um, Bryant out of Washington, Larry Bryant, who's yep. uh, very vocal. I had a bunch of people, Minnesota people, wrote letters to congressmen and stuff. But I knew that stuff really wouldn't go anywhere because congressmen, it's the, it's the old story, uh, congressmen get, uh, I can't remember what it was, it's like 5,000 emails a day or oh, something man. like this. And people don't realize that how the game is played. Ufologists especially have to realize that unless you do it in writing and you actually sign your name, it means nothing. 
they, they basically delete all those emails. People want to do it the easy way. Let's send an email to 300, 300 congressmen and legislators yeah, yeah. and do it one way, but that stuff is just totally ignored. Yeah. And I think we have to sort of learn from other communities, whether it's Greenpeace or gay rights or AIDS research or all these people who were once on the outside and now are on the inside with government funding and, and government support and stuff like that, that you have to realize that it wasn't an easy ride for anybody, that in order to get this thing on the map, we're going to have to do some work. And then yeah. until we do the work, we don't deserve to know the answer. We, if we're lazy and, uh, you know, do stupid things like send emails and stuff, uh, that, that nothing's going to happen, that we're, we're trying to take the shortcut, that we have to stand up and ask the questions that it will, might be embarrassing. We have to get people on our side. And the, the problem there is that I think the, the average person, whether it's my friends that came the first night, that the second night that I saw this thing and said to me, ah, Cameron, you're crazy, we're going home, or hungry, we want pizza. People who, it's really not an issue. It doesn't affect their pocketbook. It's an interesting that you can't marshal those people to go to Washington, D.C. Well, uh, their, their, their kids didn't die in battle. They don't have any real reason. They, they, they didn't lose their house. They didn't get wiped out in a hurricane. They've got no real reason to join our cause because it's, it's not costing them. And once it costs people, and that's where they say no pain, no gain, that, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, as I always I told my kid, I sort of believe that God created pain for a reason, that when we get enough pain in the UFO community and when society feels enough pain on this issue, whether it's a lack of oil or whatever it is, uh, or uh, enough just destruction to the earth, that when there's enough pain, then people are going to realize we have to have this and then you're going to get the answer. But not until. There's, people aren't suffering. Uh, even at three bucks a gallon for gas, people still driving their cars. It's like that costs a little bit more. Big deal. Let's just keep going. But if, if gas is 30 or $40 a gallon, then you're going to see the, the attitude change. And it's going to be much easier to get someone to go to Washington, D.C. with you and stand outside the White House with little picket signs and say, we want, we want free energy. We believe you've got the answer. And you're just allowing corporations to make money on this thing. And we want the answer. And we want you to release it now. You have, you have, people have to have a reason. And I can't blame them that they're not interested. There's just no reason for them to do it. Now, do you think uh, with the free energy, they could sort of, that's sort of like, um, that's an addition to the UFO phenomenon. Is there a chance that the free energy would get pushed through, but the UFO secret would still remain um, in secret? They could be like, hey, we, we have free energy from... No. That's one thing Stanton Friedman said. I, I, I tend to disagree, and that is um, Stanton Friedman has said um, that you could release the fact that UFOs are real, but the classified stuff are not going to release, which they do on other stuff. I say, and is one of the things that stops them from releasing, is the fact that at no time can you make any admission whatsoever because then you spill the milk and you can't get it back in the glass. There's no turning back. Uh, the minute the president, like, for example, people say, the president can stand up and say, UFOs are real and I can't talk about the rest. Absolutely won't happen. Yeah. Within an hour, there's going to be 2,000 trucks with little dishes and going to CNN and just an avalanche of reporters, and they're going to be ready with hundreds of questions. Yeah. And they're going to want to know. You're not going to get away with just UFOs are real, and we won't talk about the rest. Uh, you're going to have a situation where, as I always said, one of the main things they're afraid of is that once you make any sort of admission that this thing is for real, and the president confirms this, within the first five questions or ten questions, someone's going to say, Mr. President, you are constitutionally responsible for the protection of the American people. It has been 
estimated the three, five, eight million, whatever figure they use, say three, five, six million people have been abducted by these aliens. Mr. President, what are you doing to stop that? The president does not only know not how to stop it, he doesn't even know why they're doing it. Yeah. You're going to have someone stand up, Mr. President, it's been estimated that 10,000 cattle have been mutilated. The ranchers are very upset about this. Mr. President, are you going to uh, do something about this? Are you going to pay these people back? Are you going to give them their, their money for the cattle? You have so many issues that the president can't answer. And that's one of the things I think is the problem, is that the, pre that the president or the, the, the people who are running it really don't know what's going on. You take a look at this technology. The more you look at the technology, the more the aliens reveal what's actually involved, the more complex the technology looks. Yeah. And you start to think that the government, that, that the people who are actually in control of the thing probably still only know 5%. I mean, I think if they could stop abductions, they could stop them. They would do it. They can't stop abductions. They, they don't know how to do this. They, they, everything's out of control. The aliens can still fly around at will. We can't shoot them down. They, they can uh, hover around military bases. Uh, they've shown that they can, they can do what they want. They are running the show. And that kind of stuff, the president can't admit. You can never have the president standing up in answer to a question and saying, well, uh, well, uh, when a president is briefed, if you see how a president is briefed, when, when they do the briefing, they, they, you see Ronald Reagan, because he was a very controlled president, they were very afraid of what he would say on different issues. They would basically give him the answer to the questions, and then these guys got a lot of these guys have photographic memories. They could, they're very good with details, and they can remember what the answer to the, the question is. So they're going to basically brief the president if they know disclosure has happened. Say the president says UFOs are real. I'm not going to talk about the rest. You suddenly get 5,000 phone calls to the White House press room, and they want an interview. They want a press thing, and you got to do something. So then you got to brief the president, and there's probably. 5% of the things they got answers for. The other 95, they don't. And you're yeah. not going to put the president when you can only answer 5 out of 100 questions. Yeah. And it's going to make the president look like he's stupid. It's going to make it look like they have no control over the situation. And then the panic breaks out. And when the panic breaks out, then you have situations, and this may not happen, it may happen. You get a situation where, say, somebody says, well, oil's worth nothing. I remember Wilbur Smith's chief metallurgist told me, he said to me, he said, I'll tell you what, Grant. He said, if you know they're going to release the UFO secret tomorrow, I want to tell you, and I'm telling you this for, for a fact. You sell everything you got because everything you got is going to be worth nothing. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, yeah. I'm just telling you. If you know they're going to release the UFO secret tomorrow, you sell everything you got because everything you got is going to be worth nothing. And I never, ever really thought about that for 25 years. Then Stephen Greer came out and talked about the fact the stock market would crash. And you take a look at what happened. Oh, yeah. they, they say people wouldn't panic. People panicked during 9-11. The stock market crashed. They had, to stock, they had to shut the stock market. And what they happened with the stock market was they were able to convince the people, we've got marshals on planes. We, we've got it, and, when, and if anybody comes on a plane and tries to go over the plane, they're going to shoot them. We've yeah, got these people yeah. and they're armed. And you sort of convince the people, well, yeah, okay, I can get on a plane. They've got marshals on the plane. They're not going to be able to do this again. And you sort of convince the people that the situation has changed and we've got it under control. Yeah. The, same, the same happens with the, the blackout. People panicked during the blackout a couple of years back in, in the New England states. And, and people panicked and they had to start, shut the stock market again. So then you get a situation where they say, okay, now we know what caused the blackout and we've got it under control. We've got some of the lights back on. And people calm down and they say, okay, now we'll buy stock again. Yeah, but you're not going to be able to do that with the That's right. You, you have a situation where what changes? 
You say, okay, we're going to open the stock market again. Nothing's changed. You haven't got any more answers for the people. You have no more. You can't prove that you have any more control over the situation than you had yesterday. The minute you open the stock market, everybody sells Shell because Shell's worth nothing. Everybody's going to sell Exxon. It's worth yeah. nothing. And then the people who are got cars, they say, well, man, you know, my, my that's a spinoff. My cars aren't going to be worth anything. They sell. All the people who have parts, they sell. And then people start selling, and everybody jumps in, and they want to sell what they got before it spins off into their part of the economy where they're holding stocks. And you can't stop it. Every time when you open the stock market, it's going to crash again. And that's the kind of stuff that the Fed, they, 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 I'm sure they're deadly afraid. And I, I, I put the 64 reasons, but if you take a look at the military mind, they always took the worst case scenarios. And I'm sure that if you saw the actual document of all the scenarios of what they want to avoid, all the things that could go wrong with UFO disclosure, I'm sure the document would have thousands of reasons. It would go on. And any president who saw the document would be so scared after reading yeah. that document. Yeah. There's no way he would ever move. And then they would say to okay, Mr. President, and this is what I'm sure they do, if, they, if it goes to the president. Now I have my doubts whether it goes to the president anymore. I used to think it did, but I think now it may have been cut out. But if it were going to the president, whoever's in charge, I'd come to you and I'd say, okay, here's the situation. We can either release this and take a look at all these possibilities of things that would happen, or, you know what, we can go, it's not popular item, but we can go up into Alaska, into the into the, the reserve there, and fight off the uh, the uh, environmentalists, and we can drill another oil well, and we can uh, put some pressure on Saudi Arabia, and we can uh, force some energy out of the uh, the, the reserves for the military and stuff like this, and. Uh, what we'll do, Mr. President, is we're going to spend some more money on the UFO thing, and we're going to get more of the answers. We've got these answers. We just need a few more answers. And if you hold off for another five years, I think we can get the answers. And we can take on the aliens. We can fight them off. And we can we can get the answer to abduction. We can get the answer to cattle mutilations. We'll be able to. It's the longer you hold off, Mr. President, the better it's going to be. And the president would say, yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, why delay? I mean, it's like, like, for example, Dr. Eric Walker, who was this former president of Penn State University, and this guy knew what was going on. What happened is we knew he knew what was going on. Dr. Robert Sarbacher, who was the guy who talked Wilbur Smith and told him it was all for real and all sort of stuff, he, he was asked by Stan Friedman, who was at this crash saucer briefing? And he would go through all these people, Vannevar Bush and uh, Von Neumann, and he was naming all these people. And Stan says, well, can you remember anybody who was alive? And these people are all dead. And he said, well, there's this one guy from Pennsylvania. I don't remember his name. He was a real arrogant guy. He thought he knew everything. And basically, when, when the research was done, it, it came out to this Dr. Eric Walker. And the, the guy who broke the story, uh, Bill Steinman, phoned Sarbacher and said, was it Eric Walker? He said, yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy. He was, he was real arrogant. He thought he knew everything. And he confirmed this is Eric Walker. So we go to Eric Walker, and I was ahead of six researchers around the world who were talking to Walker. Walker was a very arrogant guy, and he sort of thought he could talk around it. And he had a problem. He couldn't have, hang up the phone. He would talk to us on the phone, and he would answer a question with a question. He'd walk around it. But every time he would be interviewed, and he didn't know that we were all coordinated. So we had people in England, United States, Canada. People were interviewing him, and I was coordinating all the interviews. And I was sort of putting it all together, and he would say things like, uh, you're up against the windmills. Leave it alone. There's nothing you can do about it. And we would follow up on that. Somebody else would ask him a question six months later that was related to that to try to get him to expand on that. What was he talking about with this kind of stuff? And what he told us at one point, and, and we absolutely knew this guy knew what was going on. He was there at the beginning. He knew all the MG-12 people. He confirmed that. He, he wouldn't talk about MG-12. He wouldn't tell me people were on it. And he kept telling us, research something else. At one point, we were talking to him, and he was saying, come on, like Dr. Walker, you're an old man. you got a chance to disclose this. You're, you, you could die. you got a chance to make yeah. history and stuff yeah, like this. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Said, What's the big deal? We haven't blown off the world yet. And that's the whole thing about disclosure is that the government, if, if you're going to try to talk whoever's in charge out of disclosing, that's what you're going to say to them. Hey, 
The world's not coming to an end. Everybody in the United States has got a job. You've got 5% unemployment. What's the big deal? Why would we upset the apple cart? This is all the things that can happen. It's still okay. The gas is, I mean, the gas is high. Add three bucks. But people have got jobs. We got, the economy's going good. It's picking up. And you can, you can paint the picture. It's not all that bad in the United States of America. The world's not coming to an end. Bush is, is he's getting votes. He got reelected. I mean, if, if it was so bad, he wouldn't get reelected. If, if this was an issue that would win, people would run and, and win on it. But the, the, the issues that people have is economy. It's all this sort of stuff. And that's what the, the, the politicians are going to deal with. And they, they see where the, Boats are, they, they, they see which way the wind is blowing, and that's the way they go. Now, do you think that institutionalized secrecy actually has, like, paradoxically caused um, disclosure from not happening? Because if they had, like, released the information earlier, maybe um, there wouldn't be so many unknown, uh, you know, unknowns. If, if, you could open up, if you could open up the research to, to like, everybody instead of how the government controlled the information, um, then disclosure would be more feasible. Do you think that's paradoxically caused uh, the inability to disclose? Yeah, yeah. They, they're, 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 that's the other problem they have is that the, the longer it goes, the, the worse the situation gets. That yeah, they that's what it, yeah. They, yeah, they get they get they get they get painted more and more into a corner. And that's uh, Linda Howe talks about an intelligence officer that she talked to, um, who basically told her, "I can tell you from the people on the top that nobody wants to be around when this thing breaks." Yeah. Sort of like let the next guy release it, not on my watch. Or one guy said, not on my watch. You're not releasing this thing. Yeah. And it's sort of like um, you have to admit that uh, you lied. And who wants to go down in history as the president who had this thing lie. break on their watch and had uh, whatever? And it may not be a stock market, but there's going to be some fallout on this thing. That's not. That's going to be ugly. And it's like uh, you can see with the with the war in Iraq. I mean, you only use one incident to paint your your presidency that for the rest of eternity. And that's what these guys work towards is is the, what they're going to look like in the history book. That suddenly you're the guy who had uh, all these bad things happen, and that's all they're going to remember you for. Like Watergate. I mean, Nick, Richard Nixon got people out of got the United States out of uh, the war in Vietnam, but that's not what he's known for. He's known for Watergate. That you you're, you can paint your presidency, and, and that's the key to these guys is how are you going to be seen. So you want to always present things in the best light. You never release anything bad. The government's always going good. Everything's always under control. That's the way the president will always paint the thing. And uh, this kind of thing, there's too much unknown, too much fallout. And the, the longer it goes, the, the more information we know that we don't know, and the more you get a situation where you have to cover up. That was one of the things, and I don't know if that's true. People say uh, the, the cover-up, if you have to release it, then you've got to release all the people you had to kill to keep it secret. Yeah, the, the more it goes on, the more, the more corrupt things you're going to find that they had to do to actually uh, keep this thing secret. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of – that's what people don't realize is – they think, oh, it's just a simple thing. UFOs exist. Why don't they just say it? What's the big deal? And you start looking at it, and 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 you know, I when I wrote this article, and I said, you know, I mean, if I was sitting on the committee, I think I'd be voting with them. Yeah, I'd, I'd vote to say no. Yeah, if you actually were on their side, and that, and I always say, if you want to know how to beat them, you have to know how they think. You can't just assume. Uh, that, that your side is right, you've got to see why would someone, it always bothered me, I said, well, why would they cover it up? What are they really thinking? And when I started looking at it, it started giving you all sorts of aspects to this phenomena that you didn't realize before, that there is some stuff, or when Walker would say, uh, we haven't blown up the world yet, I would sit there and wonder, 
you know, what's he talking about? I mean, is this true? Uh, or it's, it's a very, very sort of superficial way that ufology has looked at UFOs. It's an interest thing. It's sort of like, wouldn't it be neat to know where they're from and, you know, whether they believe in God or this sort of stuff. But it's, yeah. it's so much more complex than that. And Walker even told us, and, and going back 30 years, I'd go back and reread the transcripts and look at the stuff and it all, all the stuff that he made no sense 25 years ago now makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Lots of sense where he'd say, unless you have the mind of Einstein, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. He said, you, you're not going to get anywhere. Leave it alone. There's nothing you can do about it. You, you, you're not going to get anywhere with it. And now I'm starting to look at this thing, and you see how complex it is, and you start to realize that he probably was telling us indirectly that they weren't getting anywhere. They, they tried to figure this thing out, and, and it was just way over their heads. And that uh, you, you, why release it when you have so many unanswered questions? Now, you, uh, one question I definitely want to ask you, I kind of forgot about. First president you start with on the research is FDR. And have you ever looked at any of the previous presidents? Because I'm, I'm thinking of um, the most notably would be the, the infamous Aurora crash in Texas that was in like the late 1800s. Yeah. I'm wondering if there was ever any like uh, any mention of something that could be construed as a UFO maybe in past presidencies. Yeah, that I, would have survived some kind of like classification system because back then it wasn't considered. Yeah, they didn't have. They didn't really have classified stuff. Have you ever looked at that? Yeah, I looked at some of the stories, and basically, um, unless you go back through the, uh, done a lot of Google searches trying to pinpoint things like that and hoping something in research. Um, there hasn't been any real work done on the files, like all the files, but there were some stories that I tried to track. The one story was a story that was told that um, uh, President uh, Lincoln had met with two alien people, that two people from space. And I tracked that story every which way, and I, I couldn't track it down. I couldn't, I couldn't confirm it. The other story that's told is the famous story of George Washington, uh, the, the meeting he called it an angel. Okay, and where the angel talks about his vision that he's called uh, to bring this whatever whatever the story was his his role in American history, and the the, the story that you, you may have a misinterpretation there. And if you read the story, it does seem to be that it could have been an alien. I mean, it could have. He describes it as an angel, but then you also see the thing of the 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 biblical things where people were describing the wheel inside the wheel, and actually yeah. a lot of stuff they're describing is is alien, and they're just describing it their own way. Again, back. In those days, you have uh, interesting scenarios. For example, in the uh, late uh, 1890s, you have the story about the, um, the 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 guys flying around in these ships with uh, with ropes and anchors and stuff like that. I mean, it's almost like the aliens portray themselves to be a part of the UFOs fit their day. They don't look like the UFOs of today, yeah. as if they're they're screen imaging what what they look like. That the, who knows what they look like? They're just—they're just giving us an impression, depending what our belief system is as to what they look like, and we really don't know what they look like. Everything we have is wrong. That they sort of tailor their what what their their ships look like and what their people look like based upon our belief system. And um, so I, I did look at a couple, and I still am very interested. I track any story that I can. Those are the only two that I sort of looked at. I looked at, for example, um, uh, President Roosevelt's. Um, Vice President, his name escapes me. He was a real, I actually have an article that I'm eventually going to release on presidents 
and psychic phenomena. A lot of them are oh, big time wow. into psychic phenomena and ghosts yeah. and stuff. And the Roosevelt's vice president was like a total goofball. They had to get rid of him. But he was, he was so much into, uh, you know, astrology and fortune telling and stuff that, it, that he actually became sort of an embarrassment. And uh, I looked at his thing, whether he had ever been involved in UFOs because the Foo Fighter stuff was going on yeah. and really couldn't. But a lot of this stuff, it, it involves going to the library and going through piles and piles oh, yes. and piles of documents. Yeah. And the problem with it is the same as the Kennedy, that unless you've got a lot of leads, there's, it's like I'm up in the middle of Canada, and the closest library to me is, you know, like a thousand miles away. Oh, man. So, so unless I've got a lot of leads, hey, you, you, you would go there and not even know where to start looking. Yeah. And a lot of these people don't realize how big these places are. Maybe not the old ones, but... You know, Eisenhower, I think, has 28 million pages of files, oh, and uh, uh, Nixon has 41 million pages. So you're, you're looking at a lot of stuff, and unless you know where you're going and you know where to find it, it's like uh, finding a needle in a haystack, and you've only got a couple of days, say, if you're there for a week. And it can be very depressing. I've been very depressed many times in presidential libraries, going for two days without finding anything. Yeah. Even related. And then you start wondering, you know, like... Uh, Maybe there is no UFOs. Maybe the president didn't know anything because a lot of these, uh, it's like I went to the Truman Library, for example, and you know, it wasn't Truman. I went to Truman and they said they really didn't have anything. And then I went to the Eisenhower Library and they do an interview. It's a very formal place. They do an interview before you're allowed to research. You have your research topic and the archivist sits down and goes over your topic and tells you what they are. And they, they, they knew I was coming for UFOs and they sat me down uh, a couple of weeks later and I was there and and the guy said, well, we've got five documents. So I went, five documents? And they showed me, well, there was, a, there was a fax, and there was the CIA Robertson panel report, and there was, and I'm going, five things? There's 20 million pages, and there's five things? And it's sort of like, where did the documents go? And then you go through, and you start to, oh, find it, you know, and you look around, you look around, and there really, that's all there is. There's not much there. And you start wondering, maybe there are no UFOs. Maybe the president never knew. And you'd look at people's oral histories inside the, the White House, and you're you know, there were the interview guys, the oral histories of, of uh, people like the press secretary. They'll interview him for an hour, and they'll do an oral history, and they'll put it in the, the presidential archives, what it was like to work with the president, interesting stories about the president. Stuff. And I go through all these oral histories, and you couldn't find anything about UFOs either. And you think, well, you know, the secretary of defense didn't talk about it. Nobody talks about UFOs. And maybe it's true. Maybe the White House didn't talk about UFOs. Maybe it wasn't a subject. Maybe it was just something that that uh, nobody was interested in and nothing happened. And you, you get very depressed. So yeah. to go back for former presidents that where you have nothing whatsoever to look for, it's like a big risk. I mean, if, if yeah. once I retire, yeah. i got a couple of years to retire. And then I may just for, you know, just go there for a week and just poke around there because then you've got lots of time to do it. But now I have to be very specific. Like, for example, they wanted to fly me, the History Channel wanted to fly me down to the Bush Library because I'd never been there. And I said, well, I really don't want to go to the Bush Library. Why? Because <laughs> there's nothing there. I, I, I've done Google searches and I've asked the library and stuff, and I don't want to go sit there for a week and look stupid. I mean, I get very depressed. I mean, yeah. sitting in the yeah. Bush Library, and there's no point in going to the Bush Library. So we never did go. But whereas you go to the Reagan Library, then you got you know you got all sorts of neat stuff there, and the, the Carter Library, you got all the rumored stories about the briefing and all the the, the stories, and you you got something to actually uh, check. Or the Clinton is the big one. Yeah, I've got 100 FOIA. I'm sure that I got a thousand pages out of the out of the one agency that was exempt from FOIA during his administration. That was the Science and Technology Office, the, where the science advisor is. I got a thousand pages, and I would guess I'll probably get ten thousand pages of documents out of the Clinton Library. Oh wow! Because I know who's there, I know where to look, I know whose files, and I know what the subjects are. And uh, I—that's what you need. You need a lot of leads to go into a library, and the 
Clinton, I know, I know them all. And I basically took everybody's story and I believed everybody was telling the truth, whether Stephen Greer or whether it was the Rockefeller story or all these people that were involved and listened to all the rumors and who was involved and who, who were they talking to in the White House. And I, I didn't care what it was. It was who were they talking to, what's their names. And then you just file for these guys' files, whether it's uh, later or some of these people, people have never heard of that uh, were involved and just ask for their UFO files, their correspondence with Stephen Greer, their correspondence with Rockefeller. And I'm sure there's going to be a Lots of very interesting stuff, nice. and that's how you can build a build a story of, of what actually happens in an administration. And uh, on your website, you have uh, you're looking for student UFO essays. I thought I'd ask you about that. Yeah, I've um, had it on there for two. Some that's pretty interesting. Some you're interested in. I, I have had it on there for two years. I've never had a single one. Really? Yeah, I was very interested because a lot of a lot of the kids that I took early in the years, I took them. Um, and they were doing science fair projects. And it was always a big thing. I mean, when I'd go lecture at schools, I did lots of lecturing at schools. The kids were just fascinated with this stuff. And then you'd find all these kids would be doing science fair projects on UFOs. And something interests kids. And I just figured, you know, we'd get the, these kids writing in and never got a single one. What are you, and now are you, you're looking for them though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any kid that's got a UFO paper or story or the stuff, stuff, I'll post it on the website. No problem. I think it'd be interesting for kids. Um, even if you had a, you know, schools to access it to see, because uh, it's not at the level of the conspiracy or like my Clinton articles. I've got like 70 pages of Clinton articles. It can be very long and involved and detailed and stuff. You want just some kid, but my kid was never interested in school, really didn't, uh, really hated school, didn't really do much in school, and he did a UFO thing, and, and it was the old deal that the teacher couldn't believe he had written the, the, the the project because yeah. he had it from dad and he heard the stories and he got all the photographs and, and put it all together. He was very interested in it and um, uh, put it out and did a fantastic job, but it's the only time he ever really did a project that, that he ever spent any time on. <laughs> so I'm sure there's lots of kids that have that have done some magnificent stuff or may have local sightings that nobody's ever heard about, photographs nobody's ever seen, uh, personal experiences with their parents that people have never heard about. but. Um, whether it's uh, the wrong kind of people that are reading the website or I don't know what, what what's really behind it. I just have to wait and see. Yeah. Now, you're looking for more like their research or their opinion. I know, like, it sounds like you're not, like, opinions really aren't helpful that much, but uh, would that be something that you think would be interesting because it would uh, give an inclination as to what the next generation thinks of the UFO yeah. phenomenon? For me, it would be more, more the fact that I would, that, that I'd never seen it, I wanted to publish it for other people. I'm really not that interested. I, I mean, unless there's something weird that happens or the kid has some connection that you've never heard about. If, if, for example, I got a letter when, when we broke the Lundahl story about uh, the Navy intelligence officers at the CIA talking to this alien in the CIA and having this thing fly by the window. The grandson of the guy who was uh, asking the questions actually wrote me and said, that's my grandfather. And then I oh, said wow. to him, well, send me a picture of your grandfather because I didn't have a picture of the guy and tell me about this. And then the kid never corresponded again. But I, I had no doubt that at, at, in fact that this kid, because he seemed to know who the guy was and stuff, and he was had happened to, I guess he was doing a Google search, and had happened to his father, I can't remember his name, but it was uh, Nisham. It was a weird sort of name, Robert Nisham. And uh, so it popped up, and he said, oh, look at this article on my grandpa, you know. 
and wrote me, and I still have the kid's address, and I know where he is, and I tried to get the kid to talk and tell me what he knew about his grandfather and uh, stuff, but I never got But He might get some weird stuff like that, but I, it was more the fact that I'd done a lot of lecturing and I'd, I'd seen a lot of science fair projects, and I thought a lot of this stuff would be interesting to post for, for other schools, and you might get kids interested and you might get some sort of movement towards disclosure inside schools yeah. because uh, you might get something going there where it becomes a popular topic and all the schools around America come to my website to access these these articles. Because I'm sure there's lots of going on in different schools and it's not collected in any one place. So you're not really looking for like some kid's book report but more like... Um... Well, if it's a book report or a project or anything like that, I'm sure a lot of this stuff's going on. I just think it should be... Uh, put together and I can easily put it on my website quite easily yeah. and um, I, I, I would just think that you would have a situation where um, I know it was very popular when I was in the schools that schools thought this was a great thing to be have someone lecture on that you had no problem having the kids sit at, at attention and listen to this whole thing and yet uh, there's really no place for kids to go like if they want to do a project and they want to look at some other kids project to see what's there and a lot of times and every ufologist has had this experience of some kid writing them and saying send me everything you got on UFOs <laughs> so yeah. you know this kind of stuff yeah well what kind of stuff do you have available at, at uh, presidentialufo.com that some of the listeners here might be able to pick up and check out okay what I have I have two CDs the one is if you're into the Wilbur Smith uh, Canadian government aspect and Wilbur Smith uh, came out very openly for the Canadian government and said this thing was for real, that there, that there was crashes, uh, aliens exist, and they're here, and talked about the spiritual aspect of why they're here and what they're really here for and stuff like that. I have a, a CD-ROM of all the material that we were able to collect. His, his, his files were hidden. He uh, hid them away. I was able to recover the files, to photocopy them all, and I've got them on uh, one CD which I sell for the measly total of $5 plus $2 shipping, nice. and it's on my website. The other thing I have is I have a interesting one that has a whole pile of stuff on it. What it has is I have all the audios, except I'm missing the latest Clinton audio where he talks about the fact that uh, uh, he was cut out of the UFO information, and uh, other presidents probably were too. I have all the audios of all the presidents, and what I did is I strung a little story together, and you have little audio links there, and you can hear what did Jimmy Carter say on UFOs. You can actually hear him say it, talk about his UFO sighting. You can hear Ronald Reagan talk about the alien invasion. You can talk about, you hear George Bush Sr. talk about uh, how he he knows what's going on. You can hear Bill Clinton talk about Roswell and the fact that uh, if they had body, bodies, they didn't tell him about it and he wants to know. You know all these different things, they have that. On the same CD-ROM, I have a book, the book of the, the Charlie Red Star, all the sightings from the 1970s in the big flap that got me involved. And I wrote up all the stories of the people I'd interviewed in these, these small towns around Carmen, Manitoba, and I put it all in a, in a book, which was never published until now. I put it on the CD-ROM. You can read that story. Oh, awesome. I also have on that CD-ROM, I have the book called UFOs, MJ-12, and the Government. It was a book that was published, I believe, in 1989 or 1990, something like that, by MUFON. It was the first book that was ever published by MUFON. It was a book that T. Scott Crane and myself wrote on our investigation of um, 
Dr. Eric Walker, who was former president of Penn State University, who knew what was going on. We do a series of interviews with him over eight years. Oh, and nice. when it came down to it, what I said to my co-author, we're not going to edit anything. We're going to take all the interviews. We're going to put all the letters, all the the the, the letter, uh, the actual envelopes. It had weird things happen there. We envelopes. We're going to put it all. We're going to put it all in the book, and we're just going to let people decide for themselves what does this stuff mean. And all the very interesting stuff. Here's a guy who knew what was going on, who helped to cover this thing up for the American government, who was one of the top advisors, who told the American government what to do. And we just put it in a book, and then, and then I talk, in that book, we talk about, for example, Robert Lazar, Area 51. This is at the time when Area 51 first broke. We worked on the story. We worked on the MG-12 document when it first broke. And we have uh, sort of our own little thing which still stands today to be accurate as to what the MG-12 document was, why it was released, what it means, uh, this sort of stuff. And that's called UFOs Energy Trouble in the Government. That's on that CD-ROM. And that's a CD-ROM I sell for $10 and $2 shipping. And it has, like, the two books and the, the audio stuff. Awesome. And uh, later on, we'll have the uh, – we're now working on the book, this Wilbur Smith book. And we're still working on the President's book on the UFOs, which uh, I've had an offer from Mexico to publish it. We're still having a bit of a problem in the United States. I've had some small publishers offer, but eventually we'll – We'll have that coming down the road, and it'll have all the stories of the uh, the presidents. Basically, the stuff is on the website, but we'll we sort of put it down to just the stories of the presidents and let you decide what the what it means. And every president's been involved from Roosevelt on. There's lots of weird stories people haven't heard before, and we'll string them all together and tell you what the presidents knew and uh, what they said about it and uh, what it might mean. And when do you hope that'll be coming out? Well, the book has been, we've been trying to push it for about three years. I'm going to try a different angle at the end of this year. And uh, I would say if, if it works, it'll be out within the year. Awesome. And uh, the Smith book, it's going to be an e-book, which I really didn't want, uh, except that it's easy to put up. It'll be an e-book. I'd say that's going to be out within six months. There's a fellow who's very interested in Wilbur Smith from Great Britain who's a pretty smart guy. And we're going to put it out. We've actually got some new material. We have a, a secret project that's being run. It was the U.S. version of Project Magnet. We now have the, one of the main people working on it who uh, I'm going to interview in the next couple of days and who's offered to tell all about what the U.S. government was doing back oh, in nice. the 1950s, flying planes around, measuring radi uh, magnetic fields around the Earth. And it all was tied into Wilbur Smith's uh, investigation of UFOs. So this guy is ready to talk. I'm going to be interviewing him, and we're going to go from there and uh, put that book together. I think that'll be out within the year. Awesome, awesome. Oh, okay. I can ask yeah. you uh, about any future lectures or appearances. No, I have. I, I, I supposedly was being invited back to Los Angeles. I have a standing invitation to lecture every year. I lecture at the Ozark Conference in uh, Eureka Springs in April. But unless something changes, I won't be doing any lecturing in the United States because I have the problem of getting a visa. Yeah. That unless I intend oh, to go to the border and lie about where I'm going, I uh, can't really get into the States to lecture. So I'm thinking of maybe trying to do a video lecture. I have access to um, the, the, the part of the university here who does lectures for professors and put a video lecture together. Oh, nice. Because I do, I do a PowerPoint lecture. It has a lot of audio, a lot of video. I like to have people, you know, hear what the presidents are saying. Uh, rather than me just telling you what the president's saying, you can actually hear his, him saying it. Yeah. So I may do one of those where I would uh, put it out to various uh, 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 people who want to run conventions where they can just uh, 
short or maybe even just uh, sell a lecture of the of the president's story because it's a very interesting lecture and I've done it oh, yeah. a number of times and it's uh, fairly long and it's got a lot of stuff that people have never heard before. Well, awesome. Thank you very much, uh, Greg Hammond, for sitting down and talking to me for so long, giving me a ton of time and, and great information. And I'm sure everybody at uh, my website is going to enjoy it tremendously. Uh, your website's www.presidentialufo.com? Correct. And thank you very much for appearing on Been All of America Audio Season 1. Okay, Tim. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That does it for this week's edition of Been All of America Audio Season 1. I want to thank Grant Cameron for giving me just a ton of time and really getting out a lot of information to the listeners of Been All of America Audio. I want to thank Leslie and Chiron of BeenAllofAmerica.com for your help and support with the audio series. And, of course, I want to thank all the great listeners out there who have been following along with Been All of America Audio Season 1. Definitely had a big pickup in email correspondence and people writing in uh, about the series, so that's really appreciated, and it's great to hear from the listeners out there and, and find out what they like about the series and, and, and their thoughts on uh, the interviews as we've progressed so far. Next week, it is November 26th, 2005. I'll be taking a rare week off to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday and we will return with more Been All of America Audio hijinks on December 3rd, 2005. So two weeks from tonight, we'll be back with more Been All of America Audio Season 1. So until then, this is Tim Benall saying so long. Have a great Thanksgiving holiday. And you'll be hearing from me in December. <laughs>